0: This week on Life and Faith. Loneliness isn't just about the quantity of connection, it's about the quality of connection. So you can be lonely in a crowd, you you can be lonely at a party, so there's lots of people around. But really if you want to overcome loneliness, you have to be properly understood. You couldn't have paid me a million dollars a year to do something different.
1: Why does consciousness exist in the first place?
2: Forgiveness and reconciliation takes strength.
1: It was a bit of a culture shock when I hit Sydney.
2: We hope the truth will out. Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. My name's Simon Smart and with me today is Justine Toe. Hi, Justine.
1: Hello, how are you?
2: Great, and uh, I want to ask, how often do you feel lonely? There's been a recent study by Telstra and YouGov in Australia that reveals that the pandemic has made an existing problem worse. So today, 40% of Australians have never felt lonelier. One in four say they don't have people they can regularly talk to or turn to. Three and ten say they never or rarely feel close to people. I found this all very confronting. Now, more than a third of those surveyed said they rarely feel like they're part of a group of friends. Half of us, Justine, are too embarrassed to admit it when we are lonely. Oh, yeah. that makes the problem worse.
1: Yeah. Well, Simon, you wrote about this, and one thing that struck me out of your article is that young people especially are likely to report feeling lonely when... We would assume that it's older people who have Mm -hmm. more tendency to feel like that. It's strange, isn't it? Because young people are more connected online, but that doesn't necessarily seem to translate to actually feeling connected. And Simon, in your article, you talked about how this loneliness rise may actually reflect a deeper current within our world, perhaps one that is very interested in individual freedom and choice, and maybe that is contributing to our loneliness as well.
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, th- I think it's fascinating that you have these. And I came across these when I was researching the article, but these YouTubers are we meant to call- are we calling them influencers, Justin? Well, they are um, influencers. yeah Yeah. So <laughs> they are taking on. They have huge numbers of followers. They're taking on the minimalist fashion decluttering their lives, which, you know, sounds promising, something good in that, but they're applying that to relationships as well. So they're cutting their friends down to the bare minimum so that relationships don't get in the way, as they describe it, of their fulfillment.
1: I don't want it to sound as if decluttering or separating yourself from certain people in your life is going to be easy. It is not easy. It is the furthest thing from easy as it can be but the benefits that you will receive from separating yourself from these people who you don't know or don't interact with or the people who don't add value to your life is extraordinary. You're gonna have a newfound focus. You're gonna feel free. You're gonna feel less distracted.
0: This year I've stopped drinking alcohol, quit doing late nights, but I've also quit relationships and dating and seeing girls too. It's just a massive waste of time waste of energy, and that time and energy could be channeled into other areas of my life. Like, I'm in a really good place in my life right now. My sleep's on point, my diet's on point, my training's going really well, doing well at work, I'm making money, I'm saving money, I live a super simple life. Like, why throw a potential spanner in the works and get in any kind of relationship? It just
2: doesn't make any sense. That was Ronald Banks, followed by James Sweetland.
1: Now, Simon, a lot of these relationship minimalists are looking to optimize various aspects of their life. I I love that word and I hate Mm -hmm. it, optimize. Um, But it strikes me that this guy, James, he does have a point that he has a finite amount of energy and he wants to spend it well. And this is the reason why he's not in a relationship right now. What's wrong with that in some way?
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's something there for sure. Now, at one level, I think there's real wisdom in that. You can overcommit to things and end up being not very present in any part of your life. And plenty of us have been guilty of that. The thing that niggles me though, from all these relationship minimalists, is how self-focused it is. It really is about their individual wants and needs. And it doesn't seem to have anything to say about what they might be able to offer other people in their lives. And I can't help but wonder if at the base of that kind of attitude might be the cause of some of our ills. Have a listen to Kelly Stamps. She's a 25-year-old YouTuber with 660,000 subscribers.
1: I have my reasons for loving solitude, and it's not so that I can just come here to the Boston Common and chase squirrels around. Um, It runs much deeper than that. It's that I just don't like drama. I don't like giving out free, extensive therapy, hearing about a friend's problematic boyfriend and relationship, yet that person just keeps going back to that person. Uh, I don't like the fact that most adult friendships are actually just agreements to be each other's sounding board. Just being is exhausting, and it's a lot more fun just on my own. Now, Simon, I think on paper, it does sound really callous to cut people out of your life if they are draining or burdensome. But I have to say, listening to Kelly, does she have a point? Sometimes relationships are really tiring, right? I mean, I we all can identify. Maybe this is part of why it's a little bit strange and bothering because I can see the point she's making.
2: Sure, absolutely. And, and um, there's some truth in what she's saying. But I just think that if the only relationships you have are draining, well, sure, that can be suffocating. But I want to keep coming back to what about when you are the one feeling down or needing support or wanting to be listened to or requiring a lift, surely true friendship involves supporting each other even when we're not much fun to be around. Now, maybe, Justine, that's where community comes into it because you need to share this, this sort of burden. Share the burden. Yeah, and we're yeah. going to talk about community today.
1: Well, then if we're going to talk about a loneliness epidemic, which is a very modern phenomenon, we need some help, right? We're going to get someone in to help us with this.
2: Yes, we are. So, Dr. Jonathan Andrews is a clinical psychologist. He's also the author of a book called The Reconnected Heart How Relationships Can Help Us Heal. So, I wanted to talk to him about loneliness, but also community, connectedness, and what level and quality of connectedness we need to flourish. So, I started off asking him what he means when he talks about the heart. The word
0: heart is an ancient word that's been given to us by the ancient Israelites, and it's a really robust word and it still has a lot of currency today. Uh, for my part, it means three particular domains of functioning. It means the connections that you have and the consequences that come from those connections. It means your identity. It means who you are and it means what you put your hope in. But if we were to say it succinctly, it's the heart is the seat of your psychological functioning.
2: Now, there's a very strong sense here in your book that we require a holistic approach to our health that's not only physical, but psychological and spiritual, right? You're really Mm. trying to push this part.
0: Yeah, I guess it's sort of a broad perspective. It's keeping our eyes wide open. We need all of those things to be properly nourished and have a sense of wellness. We need good food and good diet. We need sleep. Uh, we need things to engage us mentally and we definitely need relationships.
2: I wonder about this, um, let's touch on this to begin with, but the sense that in a place like modern you know, Western countries like Australia, the even a sense of the spiritual seems to be uh, less and less uh, prominent in the way we speak. We don't have very good conversations about this. Do you find this in the people you come across? Like, there's a sort of a lack of a, even a language to engage with that side of life.
0: Do I find this? Uh, no, right. no. Um, and it is it is interesting because I um, that perspective certainly feels familiar to me. In that, that's what we're told. Mm. Um, but that is not. People bring it up with me. Uh, I don't bring it up necessarily with them at all. But when people come to see me, they bring this up as a topic because it's important to them. It's part of their psychological functioning. And uh, I I engage with them on that level because it's already important to them. So one person came to see me uh, a little while ago and I said, uh, this person mentioned going to church. And I said, is that an important part of your life? And this person said, it's central. Yeah for whatever that means exactly, I'm not really sure, but what it conveys is something that's really that part of their life is of real importance
2: to them. Let's jump in on some of these then. So you're arguing about connection. This is a big point in your book. We we need connections as an inner connection, connection with others. You would say connection with God. Are Are these the kind of three main areas that we need to be attentive to?
0: Yeah, that's right. The book is for people who have gone through relational difficulties or are at present going through relational difficulties. And out of those difficulties come like a range of different injuries, I'd call it. So shame and uh, betrayal, and, uh, worthlessness and lack of belonging. Now, in order to remedy that situation, like I've proposed that it's a three-way connection that will hold them in good stead. It's a bit like putting scaffolding around a decaying building. You know, it's, it's not as if you put these things in place and automatically you're new again, but you put these things in place and you're ready to rebuild.
2: Yes, that's interesting. One of the things that I really appreciated about this was you discern um, some problems, but you're very optimistic, very hopeful that, Something can be done about it because sometimes we probably feel like, oh, the damage was done, and you know, we yeah. were a child, and it's it's not gonna, we're not gonna be able to bring restoration and redemption to people. But you're you're not, you don't have that view.
0: Ah, oh, that, that's so lovely, Simon. If that's what you took from it, is a degree of hope because that's absolutely one of the goals. The, these particular injuries, <laughs> these ones that I just shared with you, uh, they're deep and they're lasting. There's no way anyone would really make light of them. But there is this sense in which sometimes we feel like we're, we're damned by those injuries and they're concrete and they're fixed and that is simply not the case because whilst it is that relationships hurt, relationships also heal. Uh, there's a story in the book about a guy named Garrick uh, that comes from uh, one of the world's longest-running studies uh, and he had a very cold caregiver, his mother, and by the time he got to his middle years, he was more or less boring as a person, and that's what the interviewers described him as. This comes from the Harvard Grand Study that was started in 1938, and is still running today, and these men, uh, JFK, John F. Kennedy was one of the original participants, Mm -hmm. and they interviewed these undergraduates, so there were 16 when they were several hundred of them when they arrived at Harvard, and they interviewed them year after year and did medical tests and it ran for the rest of their lives. Um, and when Garrick got to his middle years, they, they more or less said that he was flat and boring and he didn't amount to much and his relationships didn't amount to much. But he started to take risks and he joined the local theatre and he changed some things in his career. And in his late years, he achieved the highest level of wellbeing scores and he's in his latter years, he had to give up on cycling, which he really enjoyed because his knees were painful. And they asked him about, you know, are there any particular prescription drugs you're on? And he laughed and he said, Viagra as needed. <laughs> now, I don't, you know, I don't want to go too much into that, but I don't know. He was
2: thriving.
0: Yes, that's right. He, he, there was a lot of intimacy. But, you know, there's a joke that says uh, my friends say that I lack intimacy, but, you know, they don't know me very well. (laughs) So there's this sense of, for someone like Garrick and for all of us who are coming out of quarantines, there's this sense in which we have to make ourselves vulnerable and we have to make ourselves known to achieve some sort of intimacy, and that requires a degree of risk.
2: This is Life and Faith, and I'm speaking with clinical psychologist Jonathan Andrews about relationships and community and loneliness. His book is The Reconnected Heart, How Relationships Can Help Us Heal. And the book talks about all kinds of really surprising ways that our physical health and well-being can benefit from being well-connected to others. So I wanted to ask Jonathan about the many ways that happens. It speaks
0: to something very profound about human beings is, you know, that that is what we are made for, I think, is to be in relationship. So when we don't get the relationship, there are a whole variety of different things that are associated with insufficient connection. And similarly, when we do get the connection, there's so many benefits that come from it. Perhaps the best way to frame the benefits is to see what happens to us when we don't get enough connection yeah. and there's a whole range of different things there's cognitive things like uh, we have decreased attention spans, we have decreased executive function, you know planning and impulse control problems seem to emerge when we're disconnected from others um, but there's also uh, physical things so our sleep efficiency goes down and our diet deteriorates. And we become more fatigued, we persevere less, and then we have trouble controlling our emotions. And then because we have trouble controlling our emotions and we're also susceptible to drug and alcohol issues. And then there's also the things that spill out and over into other areas of the heart. Like when we don't have enough connection, we end up you know, putting a label on ourselves. You know, I'm a loser or I'm a failure I'm unlovable or something like that. Yes. And so it becomes really tragic, and this is one of the things to remember about it, uh, the loneliness, is it's it's often a precursor to something if we don't attend to it. So it's something like major depression or social anxiety.
2: There's a literal heart problem too though, right? Because you, yeah. in your book you talk about how you're at- much greater risk of cardiovascular disease if you're yeah. spending a lot of time in your life being lonely and disconnected. I thought yeah. that was amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And again, it sort of reemphasizes the point that this is not, it's something to respond to. It's not something necessarily to be alarmed by, but it is something to respond to. And when we're still lonely and we're not depressed, we often have the energy to respond to that. So coming out of things like quarantine, we know that we've been underdosed on being with other people. Now, if you listen to that isolation, you go, okay, I'm going to initiate something. I'm going to sit behind, sit in the driver's seat, put my hands on the steering wheel. I'm going to steer this thing towards connectedness. I'm going to invite some people over. Then that can be a, you know, a large step in the right direction. But if we don't, uh, then the impact of this sort of thing can flow out and into our bodies.
2: Yeah, amazing. And- now, uh, you've talked about these three things, you know, connection with ourselves with other people and, and with God. Now, if you're not a person of faith, presumably you focus on two of those three, do you? Or how do you address yeah. that with people? Uh,
0: I have no interest in you know telling people to use that third component. But like we were sharing before, uh, I think it is significant to a lot of people and sometimes we overlook that. So it's not unusual for someone to come to me and say, They've come to see me because they want to talk about that because that's an important part of their life. Yeah. Um, but if they don't have that, then that's absolutely not a problem. And the key there is to do use those two other factors and they're very, very important. And of course, uh, you can make great progress by addressing both of those things. And it's really important to remedy uh, or n- not remedy attend to that thing about connection with yourself because that really is the ceiling. That you put in in terms of your connection with other people, like if you ask me, Jono, how are you going, and I haven't connected with myself, I'll say, yeah, good, how are you, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and but if I if you if I put some thought into, well, how am I going, and what is going on in my life, and I give you a more elaborate answer, then you're going to be feeling much more connected with me as a result. Yeah. And this is a thing I think to remember about loneliness. Loneliness isn't just about the quantity of connection. It's about the quality of connection. To put it succinctly, we'd say something like, it's about the lack of understanding. So you can be lonely in a crowd. yeah. You can be lonely at a party. So there's lots of people around. But really, if you want to overcome loneliness, you have to be properly understood.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. And, and some people are uh, more extroverted, so they yeah. you know, love being with lots of other people. And other people would rather, you know, spend a lot of their time by themselves where does that come into this discussion
0: yeah that's a good question uh i'm not of the extroverted kind but i do uh, deeply appreciate relationships it seems to say they they're sort of like different set points for satisfaction so one of my good friends who i grew up with she she loves people and so uh, the quarantine has been killing her. Yeah, But uh, for me, like, uh, I need perhaps less people, but I certainly value the depth of those relationships. Yes. So it really is, you know, about, you know, uh, connecting with yourself and understanding the way you operate. And maybe you need to dose up on more people, but maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to make sure that you go deeper with some people.
2: Now you, uh, let me push this other third element to life a little bit because you're you're a person of faith. Now, presumably someone of faith thinks that, in the way they're viewing the world, that a whole lot of other things flow from that and to get that connection right is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I am uh, someone who comes from that background and it is interesting to me in the... uh, clients that I speak to who come to see me, that uh, there is that sense that that framework or that background highlights the significance of relationship. And certainly the story of uh, the creation story has that written into it so there's this interesting sort of rhythm in the text that goes god the creator did this and it was good and he saw that and it was good and he separated night from day and then he did this and it was good and then there's a break in this rhythm of the creation and seeing it as good and then he saw that adam was alone and it was not good and so right from the very beginning in this understanding it's this sense of you know loneliness is just not It's just
2: not good. Now, we've talked a bit about the cost of not being connected, you know, all sorts of things, including our physical health. Let's think about the cost of being connected for a moment. So there's time, there's energy, and I want to ask you why it's worth paying that price, because you have to recognize it to be, you know, something that costs you something.
0: (laughs) We may want to say uh, up front, I'm not sure how great the cost is. So, I mean, why I laughed is because there's a picture in my mind that just came to me of this person going, oh, no, I've got to go and connect. Goodness (laughs) me. Okay, now what's the price I'm going to pay for this? Um, (laughs) The price that you pay isn't isn't going to be that great, but it's worthwhile. I think it's a good question, that one. Um, Yes, it is a time commitment. There is no such thing as a connection without time. Where there is time, you're more likely to have connection. Where there's no time, you just can't have connection. So that's the first cost, I guess. And the second thing is it may not always be about you. Now, that is a price at some people. It's a heavy price that some people
2: pay. Mm, what do you mean by that?
0: Uh, well, you have to have some sort of otherness. You have to have some sort of interest and motivation to hear the story of another person. You, uh, you may not... um you may not get to talk 100% of the time.
2: Now, you're making a strong case for building connections with others. Community is very important in that. But it's hard to just produce friends who care for you, for instance. Oh, yeah. So how do you advise people to make connections that you say are so important? Because there's lots of lonely people out there. They might not know quite what to do with this problem.
0: Yeah, what a great, what a great question. I really appreciate that question because the question uh, realizes that something is a foot, which is the solution is in a way problematic, or it's it's something that we have to negotiate a way through. So, for example, there's some evidence that people who've been lonely uh, just feel a bit more cynical, and they're not quite as generous, and they become wary of people um, for understandable reasons I think what I would want to say is uh there is that reality of we must face people Uh, we can't fight we can't flee and so we've got to face people but what I would want to say is you don't know the positive impact that you can have on other people if you're a lonely person and there's this thing of oh I can just why don't I just spend a couple of hours on social media or watch a bit more Netflix or something like that but in the back of your mind, you know that there's this reality is that you can only remedy loneliness if you're facing other people and having fun with other people. Perhaps a thought that's going to be helpful is, as you do that is you don't know the good that you can bring to other people's lives if you do face people. Mm. And also that sense of there are other people who are struggling uh, just like you and uh, they will benefit from your company so there's this sense in which we underestimate the positive impact that we can bring to other people's lives and we entertain this idea that i'm the only one who's suffering like this and that's simply not true so one in four australians are suffering from significant amounts of loneliness so the lonely people aren't alone the lonely people are experiencing things that many many australians are experiencing
2: there's a sense of something you talked about earlier, which is when you said, I think it was introducing this kind of counterintuitive idea. We said it's not about you. Yeah. Meaning, like you said, if you can kind of turn your attention to how you might actually help someone else. Yeah. Ironically, you might find not only great satisfaction in that, but deep connectivity.
0: Absolutely and, and the sense that gosh, you know I just did something good for other someone else, and they seem to really appreciate it, of course I wouldn't want to uh, I wouldn't want to say to lonely people uh, in a strict sense ah it's not about you now get out there no. and let's talk to them of course, what's going to happen is if you have this thing of I'm going to face people I'm not going to fight I'm not going to flee from them, and I'm going to show this interest to this curiosity in their journey and what they've been up to. What gets reciprocated is much of the same, and that's exactly what lonely people need. They need other people in their lives who ask them questions and show an interest, uh, an interest in their narrative, an interest in their story and what's been happening, what they've been thinking and feeling and experiencing. And that is incredibly soothing. Uh, Relationships, when they're done right, and we all know this experience, incredibly soothing.
2: A lot of the people you talk about in your book, are suffering things that are wounds from you know past experiences and they're they're experiencing shame or alienation often that puts you in a position where you're not in a kind of great space to connect with people you're not maybe not even going to be a very attractive or appealing person for a little while at least yeah how do you advise people to deal with that very real challenge
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is part of the stumbling block that we're talking about. The solution can be kind of problematic. Relationships do hurt, but relationships do heal. And we know that we've got to get there. But how do we get there? I think to be realistic, trust is really difficult for people who have been betrayed. But there is that sense in which the psychological system that we have is now set up to protect us from further hurt. But then it overestimates And construes things. So we think all people are going to, you know, uh, be harmful to us. And that's simply not true. And we think, uh, you know, that gesture of uh, someone changing the topic when I was talking uh, is that they don't care. No, that's not true. It's because they're stressed and their mind jumps from one thing to another. So there is this sense in which, you know, what needs to happen is something cognitive as we approach other people for a relationship, but there's also something physical. We need to uh, feel safe when we're other people. And we need to make some sort of calculation about whether or not the people that we are with, are talking to, are safe, because realistically some people are not. So we have to make some sort of judgment call on that. But once we've made a judgment call on that and we do our own little bit of social engineering, then we have to work cognitively to say, hold on, this person that I'm with is a decent person, but they're a human person as well. But we also have to work physically. We have to have this sense of, I've got to physically stay in this space where I feel safe and just get continual exposure. Well,
2: perhaps lastly, um, within Christianity, there's a very important concept of the Trinity. So God is one God in three persons. Mm-hmm. So God's yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. yeah. Does that have any implications for the sorts of things we're talking about here? There's this sort of relational aspect to who God is, and that could perhaps have some reflection on us and things that are kind of implications for us.
0: Oh, huge, yeah. Like there's a sense in that Judeo-Christian tradition that at the heart of the universe is a relationship. In our very essence, there is that sense of that is what we are. We are people born of relationship. I used to go out to remote Indigenous communities and I used to have this, you know, whispering in my ear about am I teaching these people that your identity can be in a CV if you're just hanging there with school, and that sort of stuff. And it's a portable identity. You can condense it down to one page. You got through this course and that thing. But in the end, I think that those people that I met taught me more about who you are, that identity. If I asked them who they are, they wouldn't reply, I've done this degree or I've got these qualifications. They'd say, I'm this person's cousin, I'm this person, that's my auntie and that's my uncle and this is my mob and these are my people. So who we are as people is defined as who we are in our significant relationships.
2: (laughs) This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, and Justine Toe. Thanks today to Dr. Jonathan Andrews. His book is The Reconnected Heart, How Relationships Can Help Us Heal.
1: And thank you also to our producer, Alan Dalthwaite, for all his work getting our episodes together. He must feel very lonely being the only one to have to herd the cats of Life and Faith. I'm talking about the hosts like me and Natasha and Simon. Uh, We're also putting together a survey about life and faith. We want to invite you to tell us if you like what we do and how we can do it better. And we really need this so we can help plan our next year. So the link will be in the show notes or look out for it on social media. We would really love to hear from you. So please do respond. Next week. I was born in Crown Street Women's Hospital, downtown Sydney, but I was left in the hospital unnamed and unwanted my birth certificate actually doesn't have a name on it it says child's name unnamed number 2508 of 1966.